Welcome to episode three of Call of the Occult, our newly named and christened podcast. Uh, episode three, we have an interview with Gregor Smith, who's not come all the way from Canada to see us, but has come all the way from Canada to go around Cornwall, checking out Standing Stones. We did an hour interview, we're giving you the best bits. It's going to be a long one, but the guy had so much to say and it's all gold. So we, we hope you enjoy it. And thanks for listening. So uh, yeah, let's get let's get into it. So, welcome to episode three. Here we are. <laughs> Truro, and we've got a guest today, um, Gregor Smith. Yes. Welcome. Thank you very much. Where Whereabouts have you come from today? I live in uh, a community that's not on the map. It's Lanark Highlands. It's uh, 10 kilometers outside the village of Lanark, Ontario, which is about uh, an hour's drive west of the city of Ottawa. Excellent. Um, and so... We found you on the Cornish Pagan Facebook group. Um, we put a post out last night, um, expecting maybe somebody to respond next week. Um, and then you responded, and just happens, the timing's perfect, yeah. and here you are on what is three weeks of a, a journey. Uh, yep, I'm in the middle. I, I, I arrived here on the 23rd of October. I leave on the 12th. And today was the planned day to drive down to lands end and see the stones that are down in the, uh, the southern tip of Cornwall. So it worked out really well that halfway between our cottage and the stones, we can meet with you guys. Yeah. Excellent. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah. So you are a druid, correct? Yes. What does that entail? Uh, for me, it's a spiritual path that um, I'm honoring my Celtic heritage through my father and my mother's sides of the family. It's, uh, on my father's mother's side, they actually came from France. They didn't want their heads chopped off. They went to another Catholic country, Ireland. And from there, settled in Canada and New Zealand and whatnot because you know the, the, the genocide of the potato famine. But then I discovered from my mother's dad's side that we're Scottish and, and Welsh. And he once, the one story he told me was at some point in the family history, somebody participated in a battle and they were granted land by the king. And when they said, thank you, he said, don't thank me, it's in Wales. <laughs> so that's the family joke as to my mother's mother's side of the family. They were from Wales. My mom's dad's side of the family was from Scotland. And can you... Um, tell us for a second that so we, we're going on this journey of, of looking and we've we know very little about paganism and um, druids and witchcraft and we we're going on this journey together um, to try and sort of learn about it ourselves because we've always been interested in it what what was how did you sort of has it always been something that has been in your life or did you sort of evolve my parents were in the united church 
the, the little village I grew up in. But that village also had a Catholic church and a Methodist church. And the Jehovah's Witnesses used the school gymnasium for their meetings. I went to school with all the kids from different churches. My parents' attitude was, if you want to go to attend a ceremony at the Catholic church, go right ahead. When I was in kindergarten, the public school was building a new addition to the school. So the kids in kindergarten grade one, they went up the street to the French Catholic school. My brother, next oldest to me, he was in grade one when I was in kindergarten. When it was time for me to go to grade one, the English school was ready. And my brother stayed in the Catholic system. So he was raised that way. So for me to go through the Catholic church in a, in a village of, you know, less than a thousand people, as long as you behaved well, you didn't disrupt, you were welcome. You want to come in? And in that village, all the churches, that was their attitude. You want to come in and see what we participate in, what we believe in? I grew up as a kid in scouting and spent all of my time in the woods, in the bush. You know, you're aware of what is alive and around you. Uh, and Druidry is a earth-based spiritual path. And we acknowledge that what is around is what Mother Nature provides we take care of. And for me, that's, you know, it was a natural fit. Paganism, well, I used to think was, you know, everything that wasn't part of the three religions of the book, Christianity, Judaism, Muslims, because they all believe in parts of the Bible in their own way. Everybody else outside of that are the great unwashed masses. Well, I, my best buddy who was, I was telling you, shout out to Tim Harbinson. He corrected me on it. It was actually uh, a Roman term, and I'd have to pull up the comments because I I got a memory like a wet paper bag. You know, I know it held something, but why is it wet? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was a term to use to the people who were the great unwashed masses out in the villages. You know, the, yeah. the you, you, rural people. You're 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 pagans. Yeah. And part of that is well, if you live far enough away from the church or the temple, you're not participating in the same spiritual beliefs. At the same time, you're busy watching the weather. When do we plant? When do we harvest? When do we celebrate according to the moon or the season and all of that? And that's uh, with Druidry, we are an earth-based belief. We, we honor those. Our, our rituals are held around the solstices and the equinoxes and the dates between. So to say something, pagan comes from the Latin word paganus, meaning villager. Rustic civilian, and itself comes from a pagus, which refers to a small unit of land in a rural district. It was demeaning Latin term, like the word hick, that originally lacked a religious significance. So we thank Tim Harbinson for enlightening us. Well, constantly, you know, I have, you know, do you remember when we did this 30 years? And I'm going, no, but he remembers the details. So he is my. Uh, scholarly reference for a lot of things. And, uh, so within that general term, you have Wiccans who are, uh, they can trace their themselves back to Crawley, uh, Oliver, Arthur, Alistair, Alistair, Alistair Crowley, thank you, see, yeah. 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 Um, and I have a lot of friends who, who are following that path. And I have friends who are in all sorts of churches and my attitude is I really don't care what your belief is mm -hmm. it's yours I respect it and honor it and as long as you're not trying to 
force it upon me. That's you're welcome to come to my church as well. My dad comes. Um, my niece comes with her family and her, her husband. So Tasha and Kevin and Reagan and Kellen, they they now come to Thornhaven with me and participate. And the children are seven, eight, six. They're shouting at this right now because they're gonna. I got don't have the ages <laughs> right, but they participate when we have. You know, we make an offering of seeds to the wildlife. The kids will carry the bulls. They'll make the offerings. They they participate in the actual ritual. They know the process well enough now, and we are open to the public. So if somebody wants to come and see what we do, well, come on. The door's open. It's you can come and you can stay as long as you want and leave when you want. So we need to book some flights to Canada. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's within the ADF, the Druid Fellowship. That's the official policy. Your rituals have to be public. And another piece of us is we have to do charitable work. You can't just, you know, close yourself in and say, okay, we're doing it just for us. No, within our community, we find you know, food banks or shelters or something that we give the excess funds that have been generated by our activities a major chunk of that has to go to a local charity. And we decide every year who's it going to be this year. So it's interesting that you brought up uh, the Wiccan stuff because the one thing since we've been started this that's really interested me is these links between paganism, Wiccan, Christianity, and you see all these weird crossovers, I guess, because one thing that I found out that was super interesting to me was John D. The, I don't know if you've heard of John D. Um... He's kind of like, everyone considered him like the first magician, I guess. He was, they called him Elizabeth's um, Merlin. Okay. So he was, so he would cry, yeah, and do all these crazy things. And he thought he spoke to angels and all these different things that he would mention had links back to, um, you know, Celtic folklore, yeah. basically. But he would, he would kind of consider it a... Christian based kind of I don't know well, how much of yeah. that is, is done to appease the locals and I like to tell people you know there isn't much known about St. Patrick but it didn't happen overnight the conversion to Christianity took hundreds and hundreds of years so there was when, when he talked about the Holy Trinity to the Celts who taught everything in threes they believed in reincarnation they believed in what was before what is now and what's next this three different things connected father son and holy ghost three different things that are connected yes we grasp that concept because we're already using it in our own teachings and you're going to get that everywhere people bring to the table their own spirituality their own history where they're from you know that may be a you know a trauma it may be uh a spiritual experience. I was in a Catholic church uh, attending with a friend when I had what would be termed an epiphany, but I denied it. I said, no, this reaction I feel in my body is, you know, leftover from you know, something before. I refused to accept, you know, and she was saying, well, that's, you know, that's the body of, that's the spirit of Christ coming through you. Well, that's the, to me, it became, that's the energy that's flowing. You can really hype yourself up before a game before an event, before a particular job you have to do. You use that energy. Well, it's around all of us. I get people saying, 
you know, I, I put my hands on the stones and I actually talk to them and say, thank you for waiting. Some of them have fallen down. They got tired of waiting for me. Some of them are leaning. And the other day, someone tried to say, well, that's the, the, the ley lines and the energy from the, okay, for you, that may be, that may be for me, but I don't quite see it that way, but maybe it is. And I just don't recognize it. It's, you know, magic we see as children do we lose as adults because we get sucked into school and work and all but when we take the time to rest <coughs> and look inward we see we have everything we need so the to be like even queen elizabeth you know she was you know, took part in a druid ceremony before her coronation well that's part of recognizing this is your land it has this history you know, who is anybody to say it's not the way to believe it? That's not your path. You should be doing it this way. Well, then I start to question. My hack will start to get up and say, who are you to tell me that that's the way I have to believe and think? As long as I keep the peace, you know, don't bring your work home, you know. Yeah, that's really the, the path should be. When you were in Bodmin, did you see the cheese ring? I, I looked from a distance. I physically... I'm limited. It was on the list. Yeah, yeah. After we did the uh, the Heritage Center and discovered what those buildings were, the pump houses for the, the mines, that's where the elevator. I, I had seen that on another show about a month ago, how they climbed the steps on those. It's like, okay, now I'm in the building that actually did that. That was fascinating. But to look across the moors and see the cheese ring, I, phys I couldn't physically do that yeah. that day. But I did get out to the Perlers Stone Circles and somewhere else oh the minions. minions yep and there was a stone on the side of the road with some carving on it stopped to see that one uh, long time and when we were up on the moors day before there was a smaller version of that stone on the side of the road with but if we stopped the car in just the right angle a rainbow came out of the head of it so back the car up a little bit okay forward okay perfect let me take a picture of that but then i got out and touched the stone and looked to see both sides as well as the Kingstone on the side of the highway because oh, it was yes, close yes, to our cottage and it was already tagged on my gotta love Google Maps because yeah. every time somebody would discuss a stone on a Facebook group I tag it you know and then once I got here it was so easy for me to just put the search in standing stones near me and it gave me another dozen that I didn't even have on my list there's so much out there and the more you see the more you find Absolutely. The reason I mentioned the cheese ring is because it's that interesting. Because we, we saw it, we didn't know it was anything. We didn't know any about the story. And then when we were back at the Jamaica Inn, the uh, bartender told us about the kind of folklore behind how that was created. And the interesting thing about the story is it's this crossover between Celtic folklore and Christianity again, which is giants kind of in a competition with a saint. And the saint asks God for help, and the giant throws the rocks and they stack them up. Um, and that was interesting to me because it's not often you hear about that um, a, di a direct di tie yeah. between the two. But the hurlers is the same. The story of the hurlers is some men were out there playing hurling on a Sunday, and their god turned them into stone. Really? Well, the stones were there before, but that's a cool story that overlaps. That that makes that connection to people in the Christian faith to say, okay, I make that connection to that site yeah. and what it represents can can i ask so you you obviously have traveled such a long way to come 
and visit Cornwall. Um, and this is your second time here, you've said. Yeah, first time in Cornwall. Uh, my, uh, this time last year, I came for a month. Two weeks in Ireland, Anglesey, um, Wales, uh, Sherwood Forest, Shrewsbury because of the books. I was really disappointed when I got to church. This isn't where they filmed the BBC show. No, that's over in Croatia. Well, geez, I booked for two days because I thought I'd tour this, you know. Duh. There's, that's that wet paper bag thing. Mm -hmm. So I have learned to do a bit more background research on the sites. How close to the road are they? Because I'm physically in, how much time I can spend traipsing through the moors. Some of them are on private land and you have to ask the farmer. Yellow Mead Circle uh, in Dartmoor. I, we, we drove into the farmer's yard and knocked on his door and said, can I have permission to walk across your land? And he showed me where the stone circle was. You could see it from his farmyard. And afterwards, he came back and we had a great conversation and he introduced me to some sheep farmers down the road. And everywhere I go, that's the kind of reception I get. Well, for me, that circle was fascinating because there was four rings of stones within I was used to seeing a single circle and you get up there and wow, you know, I didn't realize there was rings within rings within rings. Within. So, and then to meet the people who live here and the neighbor with the sheep farmer, um, Helen, I'll say her name, her husband found a grave and it's been named after him. So they've offered to take me to show me more local stones the next time I'm coming through. Because I was done walking that yeah. day, I could, and they're going to take me out on their their quad, the the four by four. Because yeah, I, I walk with a cane, so it's like thank you very much. So the next time I'm coming through, I plan on, you know, staying in that close area so I can do that. Yeah, so we saw uh, you done uh, an interview with with one of the farmers on your YouTube channel, which is Grumpy Old Man. Grumpy Old Man. Yep, I, I picked Grumpy Old Man because. I like to complain about a lot of things. The best way to get it off my chest, write a letter. Well, now I can do YouTube. And uh, this trip, I have very little to be grumpy about. Last year, I went to see uh, one of the chalk men near Avery. And it's a wooden railing on the fence and it wobbled about three. It wasn't secure and I'm walking with a cane. Are you kidding? This is the National Trust funding? <laughs> But when you go to Bodmin Moor at the Minions for the hurlers, it's a steel pipe cemented into the ground. You know, three inches, two inches thick. This is a proper safe railing. Thank you very much. Well, I've got nothing grumpy to say about that. Well, that's good to hear. We're, <laughs> we're looking forward to seeing more more videos from you. Um, and you definitely go and check that out uh, for the guys listening. Um, I've got, a, I'm, I'm interested to see, again, you traveled so far. What? about the stones for, for people at home who've never, you know, they've never, they're interested in the subject, but they've never, maybe never even seen a stone circle. They're aware of maybe Stonehenge yes. at most. What is it about them that makes you have a connection? Well, the hair on my arms is standing up just thinking about it. It is that connection. For me, for me I'm, you know, I remember my sister as a kid picking up stones on the roadside. Every time we went somewhere, it was always a stone the car would be full of rocks bringing these home and i would sort of poo poo her and scoff at her and every now and then i'd take one of her stash because it you know oh look shiny bits and for me that's it's just grown into 
you know, being drawn to them in such a way. We were at, thank you, we were at Treseve uh, Quiot. It's, it's, well, you can see me standing there, so it's got to be about 12 feet high. Trefeve Quad. Yes. Trefeve Quad. Thank you. A lot of it, I just see it written down, but nobody's ever said it. Yeah, Cornish, we, is a, we, Cornish is a very interesting... We struggle with the Cornish stuff as well. We're from near Manchester, so... Yeah, we come up from, from up north in England, so yeah. Cornwall is all new to us, so we completely understand. We were there yesterday on a sunny day, and giant slab of stone with tiny little flecks of something reflecting the sunlight. Like, to me, it looked like... My father worked for the highways, and when they painted the roads to make it reflective, they would spread crushed glass on it, and that would catch the light. And that's exactly what it looked like to me. Somebody had thrown crushed glass all across, it, all over the stone, picking up the sunlight, which, you know, and disappointingly didn't show in the pictures, but that doesn't matter. I stood there and looked at it, and it's been, no matter where you looked, you were catching the sunlight from a different angle. Can you sort of explain to us how we say connection, and obviously it's personal between from person to person? Absolutely. Is Could you try and explain sort of how that manifests, how that makes you want to search out these stones and search out and look for the connection. And I like to use the soup analogy. We all kind of eat soup. We have our favorite soup. Yours may be tomato, mine may be vegetable. Well, there's also a tomato vegetable from eating halfway. And some people, their hobby may be traveling the world and going to restaurants and trying the cuisine. It may be going to the beaches. When I was in college, I started dressing up as the Sandman. I have a big heavy wool cape and I'd go to kids' homes and tell them stories because the Sandman would put you to sleep. And I'd get my friends to gather. Back then, you 35 millimeter film came in a little plastic container. Well, if you're going to the beach, can you fill that container up? Bring me some sand back from wherever you were. And I would add it to a little glass jars that I would carry with me and you could identify the different sands from around the world. And I'd spin the globe and tell the kids to pick a spot and then based on where they stopped the globe I'd find a sand that was closest to that part and tell them a story that came from that part of the world right. a folk tale mm -hmm. well now it's progressed from sand to rocks you know, I'm traveling around this part of the world finding those rocks and I go home and tell the stories about it that's fantastic that's really interesting it's and it's great to see somebody coming visiting this this sort of side of things because do you feel with i mean over the past what 40 50 years technology's advanced everybody's so much more connected now how do you think that's affected the sort of pagan druid lifestyle how do you think that's sort of manifested itself and, and uh, changed it's, it it's a blessing and a curse at the same time you know the universe provides and it takes away. Well, the universe provides a way for us to be instantly connected. But at the same time, people feel they need to be instantly collected. I need to check my phone because I might have missed something. Well, unless you're an ambulance driver or work for the police department or a doctor, you know, you, you carry the pager. You know, they need to get a hold of you instantly. In my day, you had to go home and hope there was somebody home when the phone rang to take a message for you. Otherwise, you called people at mealtimes because you knew that's when you could get a hold of them. I like to say sometimes the, the online instant 
connection between Canada and over here gets broken because rural internet, it's no different here than it is at home. And I say, well, that's because the string between the two tin cans has dipped into the ocean and got a little wet. Yeah. You know? So I can remember long distance phone calls from my place to my family in New England. And it was crackly and noisy and you were lucky to get an offer. You had to ask for a long distance line. I grew up with a party line, which meant you had, we shared it with four other families. Each family had a distinctive ring, like a long, short, too short, too long, or short, long. So you only answered it when it was yours, unless it rang excessively and you would answer it and say, they're not home. Can I take a message for you? <laughs> but if you wanted to use it, you had to pick up and listen to see if somebody was on the line. Yeah. And unless it was an emergency, you hung up, you walked away and came back later. The same courtesy you expected when you were on the phone talking to somebody. Yeah. Now that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. I want it now. What? I sent you a message 30 seconds ago. You haven't replied. Yeah. But it also gives us the opportunity to use social media to say, we're going to be doing this. You're welcome to come and attend and to give that information like your podcast, like YouTube channel. You can use it for education. You can use it for harm. You can use it for entertainment. You choose what you want to take out of it. And some people have yet to learn those skills to pick and choose. You know, when the TV was on, it's like, well, okay, we got PBS and we've got this something on and we've got somebody talking about something else. Well, you knew you could, if you had kids in the house, you could fall back to the PBS. That was safe television for children. Now, you have to be a lot more careful, a lot more vigilant about what's out there and how to access it. And it's just like life. You guys all drive on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> You know, so I have to be careful and I'm thankful for my driver because when I was in Ireland 19 years ago, mm -hmm. yes, I was a little quick around a corner mm -hmm. and a dump truck was coming the other way who didn't want to share the road and he drove over the corner of my car and killed it dead right there. It's like, uh, and I still get white knuckled on some of the lanes that were here. You know, yes, they're all covered in moss and trees and stuff over there. It was the, the rock wall was inches from the asphalt. Yeah, so you gotta, I'm pulling my knees in when we're passing another vehicle. It's, it's because I rode horses in the woods. And if you were twisting around trees that were so close, you had to pull your knees in or that horse, that horse couldn't care less. No. So I'm still doing that today yeah. you know, as a habit. And we carry those skills. Part of it is you have the family connection isn't there anymore. So you can use the internet to make that connection as well. It's instantaneous. Turn on your phone and you can face chat with people on the other side of the world. You know? Well, you, you have to be careful. You, it could be a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. Life, I like to say, universe gives and it also takes away. Interesting. Um, so you were saying before that you were up at Glastonbury. Not at the Glastonbury Festival, the big music one. No. <laughs> you were at the Glastonbury dragons um that group of pagans in glastonbury who put on a festival rituals and drumming they have which would be compared to when you think of like a chinese dragons and they had this they had the white dragon and the red dragon i knew nothing about it until i met some people who took the time to tell me that the actual tour the hill 
you're walking up the spine of the white dragon. Beside it is another hill that's known as the red dragon. At the base of both hills, there are springs coming out of the ground. One comes through the chalk, the other comes through the iron. So you can see the, the redness in the water. You can taste the difference between the two. It's supposed to be representative of the red dragon and the white dragon. For me, that was a, a, an incredibly uh, wonderful experience to know that. I went for a swim in the chapel the next day. It was very, very cold. You know, and I knew that ahead of time, but it, it, you know, I was still a day later, I was, you know, feeling what I thought were the effects of that's from participating in that event. I had been gifted by Helen, a, a deer skull with antlers, and I knew I couldn't get them home. It's just too big. I'd have to break the antlers off and hide them in my suitcase. So I gifted it to the, the white chapel because they have a nook in the corner dedicated to the horn god. Well, I have a tattoo on my arm dedicated to the horn god. So I asked the attendant there if they could use it. And uh, they did. And, and they were he was very reverent about taking it. It happened to be his last day volunteering. So for him, it was a, a, an extremely powerful moment, too. Like, I'm giving, I got this in the car. I know I can't take it home. No. You could use it. And other people can now use it as part of the... the the accoutrements of the of the place, not so much a decoration, but part of the functioning uh, things you would put on the wall and use as the spirituality of that place. Can you can you explain for us just referring back to the, the your tattoo you've got, which is very nice, like it. Um, what can you explain to us the horn god? We but we went to the witchcraft museum and we got some information on it. Um, for you, how how. How do your beliefs shape around? Well, I, I identify with uh, three different deities. There's uh, the horn god, Kernunos, who, and I grew up in the part of Canada that has the highest number of deer strikes and automobiles in the country. They're everywhere. I got them in my property. I, you know, I, I have to, if I'm driving down my lane and it's, it's got a bend, I have to slow down because there's a spot where the deer cross. I have a, an English longbow and I have a large round barrel as a target. I've had to stop to let the deer walk past. So I've, I've grown up with deer. Right now it's hunting season back home. And it's a harvest, like what comes out of the garden. And it's harvested by the people who live in that part of the country. But what it represents is, you know, the, the kind of classic Bambi story. The deer grows up to be the stag in charge of the hood, the herd. He's the king of the forest. So the, the stag king represents the king of the forest in both a, a spiritual way, a metaphysical way. That's He's represented as the king. But at the same time, we recognize we hunt and honor that animal. So it becomes an annual thing that in the fall you hunt the stag king. But part of it is, if you're not very good at hunting, He's going to lead you on a very merry chase and he may get away because you're not good enough mm -hmm. to be the one to claim that title yeah. of bringing home the crown of the stag king. No, he's only got one or two thorns on it. No, no, you got his little cousin. You didn't get the king. Yeah. I also have a green man tattoo. My stepdaughter Celeste drew for me. I have the painting at home. 
Uh, he represents a forest deity that protects the forest. Um, uh, yeah, I'm a tree hugger, but I also recognize harvesting lumber can be done sustainably. I met a fellow once, I was hitchhiking up north to visit my parents. And he said, well, every 20 years we go back to the same plot of land. We let those trees grow for 20 years and come back. We have every year we go somewhere else. And after 20 years, we start the circle over again. He says, I know there'll be trees there for my children and my grandchildren to cut if they do it right. And I'm teaching them that process so that we can come back in 20 years and harvest again. That's part of you know protecting the harvest. You're not clear cutting and mowing it all down and then planting all the same trees in yep. there. Monoculture doesn't work. And then my third deity is, is Bridget. Uh, the Northern Lights are Bridget's fire, but she's also the patron of artisans. And I'm Canada's only true leather smith. Uh, my last name is Smith, and I work with leather. So I've claimed that I have a friend, Tim Harbinson, who's a blacksmith and a leather smith. But his last name is Harbinson. Yeah. Doesn't quite count. <laughs> I have two older brothers that took it in high school who taught me those skills and I turned it around into a business and I've been doing it for 20 years. They are leather smiths, but they recognize I'm the. In some ways, I'm not as good as them. Their, their skills for some things far surpass me. But in other ways, I've been, you know, I've sold thousands and thousands of custom made belts. So I have my skill set that works for me. In 2000, I went from drawing the motorcycle stuff, the cowboy stuff into leather to doing Celtic knotwork. Yeah. We've just been shown a purse um, that's been made. Um, that's really nice. So it comes as a kit. I had a Tandy leather dealership. And if you think of Tandy, somebody in a hospital or a prison making a belt or wallet, everything came in a box, in a kit. Well, Tandy got into the electronics, Radio Shack, Tandy Computers. So I had a dealership. I had a store with a sign, and I sold Tandy leather products. And if people wanted, for example, a billfold, well, did you want to buy the stuff and take it home and make it yourself? Did you want me to make it for you? Did you want me to teach you? Well, now I just do custom work and teach. So if they want to learn how to make it, great. When I do shows and festivals, I have a rack full of belts that have patterns on them, but I also have a roll of the leather. I can cut a strip, whatever width, whatever length you want, and I show them how to put the pattern on, and I tell them, if you make a mistake, I'm going to laugh at you, just like at home. <laughs> and I go sit down, because I'm an old man with a bad back, and they put the pattern on it. They put the gloves on it. They dye it the color they want. They put the snaps on it. They make it themselves. There's examples of uh, the belts and the, I do shows from April through to you know, September, October. And that's the money I make from that. That's what I use for my trip. So I do it right there in the booth. Yeah, so we're just looking. Uh, and have you got a website or a Facebook page? I have can... a Facebook page. I don't know what it is, but if you look up, if you look up <laughs> Leather Smith, I'm there. I used to have a website. Uh, I'll give you the information, and you can record it, and you can. Uh, yeah. I was going to ask, sort of. So we we've been researching. You know, we've been focusing on this name for probably about six months um, on this project and building up to it, um, and we we still have a very limited understanding of what 
people talk about when they say rituals and what they talk about when they say magic. Can you give us a reasonably... Yeah, there are people within... Even my own growth, I thank my senior druid, Julie, uh, because she actually took the time once to put it on a whiteboard and draw it out. She was not only teaching me, but, you know, my, all the, the little ones to say, this is kind of what we do. We have an opening. We have a middle part of the ceremony. We have a closing. So when you think of a ritual, it's all of what happens within the church. When you go into a Protestant or a Catholic church, they're all basically the same. We have a format as what the what it has to contain. How you present it is up to you with some leeway. Well, within the ADF, we have several core rituals. This is what it has to contain, and this is the process. So we have a well, we have a tree, and we have a fire. And what we do is we make the well sacred. It's just a cauldron of water, but we, for the purpose of our ceremony, we make it a sacred we make the fire sacred. We recognize the tree is connecting what is above and what is below. We make that tree representative of the tree of life. How do you make these things sacred? With the words and the offerings that we make. And then at the end of the ritual, we make the tree, we actually acknowledge verbally, that let the tree just be a tree. Let the well just be water. Let the sacred flame just be a fire. So you close off that piece at the end of it too. There are, within the ADF specifically, there's levels of training. You can't just call yourself a priest. The first level is a basic study. You know, I've got a half a dozen books and I've tried twice to do the dedicates path, the DP we call it. I've got all the books. I've, re I've read the books for 20 years. I grew up with this kind of stuff. But reading is really difficult for me and to retain it and turn around and to say, this is, you know, you want to give me a written, I got to write a book report now. It's too much like school. And I stupidly did something when I was young and stupid. I broke my neck tobogganing on a ski hill and I, to hold a pen in my hand is really hard because I don't have feeling in my right hand. So people don't get stoned and hop on the ski patrol toboggan and go down one of the biggest hills around 60 miles an hour and crash at the bottom. Yeah. Life experience 101. <laughs> so my senior druid julie has told she's in the process now of, of completing her training to be uh, ordained as a priest within the ADF. that's her priority right now she has said that when that's finished she'll help me do my training verbally we'll record it with a camera just like what you guys are doing with the okay we're going to ask you the questions you answer the questions um she recognizes that I have a connection to the stone. So let's work that into, this is your area of study. Specifically for me, I have seen 40 stone circles in two years. Like I try and do three or four a day and I cram that into within, within a month or three weeks. And then we're heading off to, like today, I'm hoping to get four or five in today. And if we don't get them all in, that's okay. I'm coming back. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to escape the Canadian winter. It's snowing at home right now. You can have it. It's t-shirt weather. So I'm sending videos home and pictures going, ah -ha. but I know when I get home, I'm the one that has to fire up the snowblower because my lane weighs a thousand feet long. So yeah, it's there. I'm, I'm, we have all the clothing and the, but really if I could escape the Canadian winter and do this, 
Absolutely. Happen. If I could physically hike the country, like I could have when I was, you know, 15 or 20, then I'd do it. I'd fill up a rucksack and head on down the trail. Because your country is, is built for that. You have footpaths all over the place. I'd rather do it on foot than with a horse. Some of the places, yeah, I could take a horse in, but you got to get the horse there. So I'm loving every turn in the road. Last year, I went through Wales, and in one blink of an eye, I saw more sheep than I'd ever seen in my entire life. And I was raised in cattle and sheep country at home. And you turn the corner, and there's just as many in your view. And I love lamb. And I have sheepskin, and I you know, work with leather and fur, and I have a sheep's horn on my walking stick. My father has the mate to it. I, uh, for me, uh, this, it's a wonderful adventure because every turn of the road is something new. Even if we've traveled that road, two, it's only been two or three times we've gone down the same road. Yeah, I'm seeing something different every time. So I try and share that with my uh, videos saying, if you can't come to see them, at least I'll show them, share them to you as much as I can this way. If it inspires a single person to do that, to come here, well, I've got all the books. I can tell you all the stories. I can uh, help you or not. You can just explore on your own too. The, the same thing with people with their pagan beliefs. You will find if you sat down with anybody and on one and one said, like we're doing here, tell me about your beliefs. What's it founded in? Where's it come from? In a quiet, relaxed manner, you will find something new about no matter what religion you're talking about. All over the world. I like to say, God's looking for spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. Amen. <laughs> right there. And that's where, that's that sums up the village I grew up in. So to have that everywhere, that would be great. We all have a spiritual path. Within us, we have the energy to make miracles and magic happen. What's the magic? Well, for some, it's, you know, taking, a, I worked in a daycare. Little styrofoam cups with dirt, we put seeds in them and watch the plants grow. That's magic to somebody that age. Well, even now, you know, I have a garden and I put my own, I got, not very good at it, but yeah, I water the plants. I have a, a, a plant that's been with me for, since I started my business in 96. It's in a little container. There was originally three different plants in it. One of them's an ivy that grows really, really long. And every now and then I have to cut 20 feet off of it and tame it back. Mm -hmm. It's still alive. Yeah. yeah. So it still puts up with all of the lack of water it gets from me for 22 years. Yeah. No? Well, children are like that. They are a magic that two people create. Mm -hmm. Well, it can turn out to be a blessing and a curse at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So when you look for it, it's there. Mm. Your, your brain has the capacity to help you see and interpret everything that's around you. Mm. Even if it's just celebrating that the sun has come out today. Yeah. Yay. I don't care if it's raining here. I'm not being snowed on. Mm. You can find, you know, what's there or you can turn around and have a YouTube channel grumpy old man and find something to, oh yeah I can look around real quick and find something to gripe about we all can 
you know? For me, the most important book in my library called Uriel's Machine. I'm sorry, I can't remember the artist. Hiram's Key is another book they wrote. But I know it's two guys. They talk about uh, Uriel being the angel that Enoch, Noah's grandfather, met. Noah's grandfather, Enoch, had, went north to an island that had snow and was in a building that had windows that showed the days, calendar. Well, Newgrange is crystal in an island that snowed north of Palestine in that part of the world. That the first day of winter, the sun shines right inside it. Well, it also has a separate window box above the entrance for the light from Venus that comes every seven years. Every seven years, somebody, oh, just, just for that one light, really? So, it's funny that you mentioned Enoch, because John Dee, who we were talking about before, he wrote um, in something called Enochian. Yes. And the language, yeah, the language, so. Are, I'd have to read the book again, but in the history of, and there are people who are a lot more intelligent, on they, maybe they will contact you and say, there were two basic uh, groups that worshipped spiritually in the Jewish beliefs in that time period. One followed the the season, the days. This is the day to celebrate this because the sun is in the sky on this certain date. Okay. The other culture, the other beliefs, followed specific events in the history of what happened. Like, like the, with Moses, it was you know, the parting of the Red Sea. Sorry, yes, Noah's grandfather is Enoch. So you had the Enochians and then the followers of the belief that basically what Moses was saying on this day was, you know, something traumatic like the plagues, like uh, we, we do Easter, they do something else about the same time. Um, so they follow specific events in their history we you know the, the the taking of the first child uh, uh, from the egyptians that's 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 remembered and they we celebrate that day. we honor that that date as opposed to the first day of spring the first day of winter the first day of summer we follow the seasons well there came a time when they both clashed and the enochians didn't survive over time the, those beliefs were superseded by the followers of Moses. So when you look at the pagan beliefs, that's a seasonal thing. It's the earth and what the earth provides and the time to do, time to plant, time to harvest. That's very much Enochian. So in the book, they talk about the, the flood for Noah and how he didn't build it. If you, were, if you knew a flood was coming, would you build a boat or would you build a raft? You could put your home on a raft. The water's going to rise. The water's going to recede. Okay. So Noah, his ark was a raft because his grandfather spoke to the watchers. Watchers are angels. When you get into the language, the, the angel Enoch said, the stars are going to crash and you know, meteors are coming because they studied the stars so much. They knew where all the planets were, where the sun was. They could see this coming just like years ago the comet that crashed into Jupiter. We all saw it coming because somebody looking at the sky did the math and said, that star that's moving, that light, not a star for those who are, that planetary object, just do the math, it's going to crash into Jupiter. 
So everybody pointed their telescopes at Jupiter to see it happen. Well, Enoch said, a flood is coming because this, it's happened before, it's going to happen again. The stars are going to fall out of the sky if they hit the water. Massive tidal bore. So their book talks about how all through the world, about 10,000 years ago, there was massive flooding. Well, all over the world, there are people who tell stories of the flood. It's not because the Christians got there and taught them the story of Noah. They had that belief before. And the archaeological evidence, the uh, geological evidence of sediment at certain levels, you can study that as well and say, yes, something catastrophic. There was rising water here, and we're so high and far away from the sea. Same theory that that's how the the mammals were wiped out in North America. We lost the saber-toothed, the mastodons. Because of that flood, who survived? Those who were up high. There are stories out of Chile that they were in the mountains when it happened. They saw this wave come in and wipe out the village. You know, Peoples all over the world have the flood story. So they make the connection that Enoch and Uriel from Newgrange, the people studying the stars there, warned them this was coming. And part of that keeping the history is carving it in stone because wood's going to get washed away. It won't survive millennia like building out of stone. So it's a great piece of literature that I find a connection to. That one book. Yeah, people can discount it. And I've, I've had it in the men's group. We had a discussion about it. And somebody said, well, blah, 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 blah. I said, well, did you read the book? And they said, no. Well, you don't have an opinion on it then because you haven't read it. Yeah. If you want to read it and talk to me about it, great. If you, you know, if you have a different interpretation of it, I'd like to hear that because maybe I'm not right. Mm-hmm. It's like that soup thing. You got a different recipe? I'm willing to try it. Mm-hmm. It may not be for me, but I'm willing to try it. Yeah. You know? I had my first Cornish pasty. And what did you think? <laughs> it was great. It was steak. It was still warm by the time we got back. You know, it, it was really enjoyable. We're going to have another one today. You know, and I even bought a little fridge magnet shaped like one at the museum. Okay, I'll take that home. You know, and I waited till I got to Cornwall to have it. Yes, you can have it in Somerset, or the, yeah. but it's not the same. No, no, no. no. Absolutely. So that's part of experiencing even a book. Yeah. You know, their interpretation made perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. I've been kicked out of Newgrange twice. The first time I laid down on the floor while the, of course, the bad back, I can't stay hunched over. And inside Newgrange, there are three antechambers with large, like four foot wide stone bowls. And one of them had been cracked when they tried to remove it. And they talked about how human remains, had been, human bones had been found. Possibly it was a place of storing bones after they were cremated there was ash there you can go to any church in the world you know, and you'll find burials under i went to canterbury well every paving stone inside there has got somebody's name carved and they're buried underneath it it doesn't mean it's a tomb it could represent a place of death and rebirth which is exactly what the winter solstice is death of the the cold sun the warm sun's coming the days get longer the end of the year, the beginning of the next one. That's there. Why did other holidays get put on the same time? Eh. Okay, they're there. 
That happens, mm -hmm. you know. But I tell people, Easter's tied into the moon. Yeah. Why does the date on Easter change? I remember my father, my father explaining why. You know, I'm the kid. Why is it not fixed? Like, mm -hmm. well, it's because that's the old way of honoring that date, and that's what we do. Okay. Well, in my church, this is the date for the winter solstice. This is I discovered just in the past since coming here that the date for Samhain, Halloween, mm -hmm. traditionally you know August, October thirty first, November first, November. It's really three days because the sun and the moon. A sun takes like three days to be the solstice. The day before, the day of, the day after. Well, then it became you know Christian holidays attached to it. But last year. On November 11th, I went to the Hill of Terror and met a bard there who told me, well, this is the traditional date because in 1752, they cut 11 days off the calendar. This is really when it is. Okay. A week ago, uh, a Facebook group out of Ireland said, well, the astronomical date is November 7th. Well, where's that come from? Well, that's the date. You know, if you look at the stars to say this is the time. So it's not a fixed date. It's more like a season. And I used to get really fussy with groups like my own growth. Well, we should be meeting on the 31st. Well, it's a Thursday. Well, I'll hold the ritual on a Thursday. Mm -hmm. I don't know. People have jobs. People have lives. It's <laughs> that following weekend or the weekend after. Mm -hmm. The closest to. And when I started to run my men's group, it was like the closest Thursday to the full moon. Part of it is having that flexibility of mind to say, mm -hmm. it really doesn't matter the date. Yeah. It matters that, that you honor it. Mm -hmm. And I tell people, you don't need stuff to have a ritual. The offerings you make could be a crusty piece of bread. It could be the best mead that you have or the best whiskey you could afford. It could be water out of your own tap. It's your intention. The gods are not going to look at you and say, well, we don't like your offering because it wasn't as nice as somebody else's. What's the story of the little drummer boy who plays in heaven? You know, all he has is this drum to beat on. You know? That's all I have to offer. I have some skill. I have some. And mate, I've embarrassed my wives in two continents with my drumming. Yeah, it's not that good. It's more of a spectator sport for me. Mm -hmm. But I love when musicians play it well mm -hmm. and I honor you by you know buying your music watching applauding offering a drink a token of something mm -hmm. even to say wow I was really impressed by your music yeah it made it you know made me gave me goosebumps mm -hmm. that's your craft that's your skill and that yeah. has affected you can I, can I um, ask you just mentioned whiskey then and I, I can't remember where I've seen it but I read something that to do where paganism is concerned that whiskey is the liquid of life waters of life uh tim harbinson I, he's gonna swap me on the back of the head whiskey from the irish it's the water of life so we use it in our rituals we, we pour it into a horn and pass it around we put it in a in a goblet or a, a, i have the two-handled dish and for sharing you know, it's like a coffee mug with two handles. I take from mine and you take from your end. We share it. We, we also pass around juice for the non-alcohol drinkers. At my own, uh, we have both. So the kids get the juice and the adults get the... And 
And really, if, if they want to have a taste of it, you know, it's parents introduce, you know, we're not saying we're turning you into an alcoholic. We're saying, have a, have a taste, and I'll be bringing home bottles of meat. Try this one. Try that one. They're different honeys, and no two honeys are the same. No meads are the same. Even, And that's all part of it. So that's part of our rituals. We have whiskey. After our uh, ceremonies, we go into the mead hall open the bottles, have a feast. If the weather's nice, we do it outside, put the table's out, and sit around the table and have a meal. And then you know, have a fire with some storytelling and some singing and some bardic entertainment. Bards are part of Druids when you, when you break down like Obad, Obates, Bards, and Druids. Obates being the judges, Bards being the storytellers, Druids being the spiritual advisors. Well, one person can be all three. It's, uh, history tells us that it took 20 years to learn the educational process to be, you know, and everything was oral. With me, I'm 10 years into the ADF and still learning how to run, how to participate at the rich. Some people just don't have the skills. My senior druid, Julie, and her fiance now, I can say David, they're taking a month off in June next year. Well, I'm staying on the property to watch the dog. Well, we have the summer solstice right in the middle of that. And I told her before I left that if you write down the words that need to be said, I'll see they get said, even if I'm alone. I know that other people will step together and take pieces of it, because we do that all the time anyway. So the, the, the ceremony will continue. Part of me is thinking, do I have the skills to take a leadership role in that? And sometimes I say no, and sometimes my ego kicks in and says, yeah, yeah, I can be in charge of everything. So it's, for me, it's that learning process. No, do I feel comfortable? I did my own on the Dartmoor Moors for Sawain. As I was leaving, I realized, oh, I forgot to do this. I forgot to do that. Well, yeah, but for my first time, no, I think I did great. I'm pleased with what I did. When I was pouring some mead around, the wind whistled through the neck of the bottle, just as I was giving an offering to Kernunos. And I heard, and I said that verbally, I hope you find my offering. And as I turned the stone in the direction, the wind whistled across. And I said, well, I take that as an interpretation of yes. And when I got around to the other side of the stone, my, flint, my candle had gone out. I said, well, there you, you not only did you whistle, but you blew my flame out. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess that means I'm done. <laughs> So that for me, that was my closure. Okay, yeah. my flame is out. You know, that's it. You know, it it was for me a magical moment. Mm. When we get into defining magic, it's highly personal. Mm. You know, I have friends who Victoria, who, who she's studying uh, gemology and does the crystals and all and. And she'll say, this crystal's for that, and this crystal's for that. And she sells them at festivals. That's how I met her. Well, she had a big tiger's eye the size of a goose egg. And I know what a goose egg looks like because I have geese at home. My first ring as a kid, when I was 14, had a tiger's eye on it. That ring turned my finger yellow. I took the stone off and met a silversmith who put it on a silver band. I still have the ring. So there's that giant piece of tiger's eye bigger than this salt shaker. Well, I picked it up 
And it's like, I don't care what the price is. I'm not even going to look at it. Okay, I'll take this one. Just tell me how much. Mm -hmm. So I can't poo-poo what she does mm -hmm. because I rec recognize what she does and respect what she does. I can't tell you that I have picked up stones from the Hill of Terror and that I picked up a stone off the corner or the Dartmoor Moors. No, no, I would not. But I've got stuff in my suitcase <laughs> yeah. that I'm connected to. Mm -hmm. We all have that. We, we collect stuff in our lives that we are connected to. Mm -hmm. That magic is there within all of us. It's what we do with it. It's how we address it that really makes us who we are. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, excellent. You got anything else? No, that's fascinating. That's yeah, really super interesting. Um, I think we we've got more than enough there. Um, uh, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. And we're hoping if you do come back, absolutely drop us another message, and we'd love to talk to you again. So yeah, we're gonna get another coffee, I think, and call it a day. So again, Gregor Smith, thank you very much. Heading off to the have to pull up the map, but we're heading off to see some stones. Gregor Smith, yeah, the um, pagan druid from Ontario, Canada. Yeah, we um, caught him out last minute, which was great, um, and we hope you've enjoyed it. It's been a, it's been an interesting. Well, it's the first person we've spoken to, sort of in the area that we're researching. It was a super interesting guy. Again, mega thanks to him mm -hmm. um, for meeting up with us. He came out of his way uh, on his. Tour of stones. Yeah, big fan of stones. And uh, found a lot of like, what, energy in them, I guess, that you really enjoyed. Yeah, connection. Connection is sort of the description, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of talking points there that we've sort of got because the fella could talk all day. It was great. Yeah, um, really it's a shame we didn't have more time, but we're going to hopefully, if we carry this on, to next year, maybe we uh, maybe we're hoping to, to get him back at some point in the in the future, um, but we'll you know we'll see how we get on. So, what interested me is big part of it was again bringing up these links to um, between paganism, uh, like witchcraft, and Christianity and this weird amalgamation of kind of all these strange religions um, and how they all link together. I quite liked his opinion on it. It was very... Very open to other people's yeah, perspectives. Yeah, it was basically that he thought there was this universal energy that everyone spiritually can tap into and it just, you put your own symbols on it, I guess, or something to that effect. Yeah. yeah. Which is, you know, I think that's a nice way to look. Um, very open, which is great because we, you know, we've, we've struggled. Um, I've tried in the past to engage with pagan groups. It might just be my experience. This is not a sweeping statement, but I've struggled to uh, engage well enough to get in contact with somebody. Um, and he's been super open, super great, um, and had some re yeah really interesting opinions and really interesting ideas. Um, you know, gave us some pointers of where to go. Um, mm -hmm. Was mentioning Newgrange, 
which is like a burial mound that you can go into. You know, the wind still just the sun comes up. I mean, I think we recorded. Yeah, we recorded. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a great um, angle. See, we'll have to go see all these definitely. And I need to read Uriel's Machine. Yeah, because that sounds that's a book that, by the sounds of it, if, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was a book based on Enoch. Yes. Rather than. I couldn't figure out if, because he kind of jumped around a bit, so I couldn't figure out if Enoch was Noah's dad, Moses' dad, or an angel, because he was all three. <laughs> Maybe he was. <laughs> Maybe he was. I think he was Noah's dad. I think that's what we gathered. Right. Um, no, Moses, because Moses parted the Red Sea. It was his father. Oh, Enoch. okay. Um, and he spoke through the angels. I think so, yeah. Which would make sense then in the Enochian. Enochian. Yeah. Which I'm happy that came up. Yeah. It was a good job. We'd actually stopped recording. Yeah, and you and missed, then, you missed a bit on aliens. Yeah. And Zach just quickly turned the thing back on when he's mentioned Enoch, because obviously that's something that we've been looking into. There was also as well. Did you notice he um, did he mentioned the tree as a point of oh, yeah. ritual and yeah. the as above so below. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is very much in tune with um, the. John D stuff as well. Right. Okay. Oh yeah. Whole, yeah. So yeah, yeah. World tree. Yeah. Um, I thought that was good. It's just funny to see all that because I mean he didn't know low he didn't know a lot about other he'd never heard of John D before. Yeah. These weird, you know, things that he did, but then still he he was aware of things that uh, are that yeah um, entirely. I like that he called angels watchers as well. Yeah, that's cool. I want to use that. Yeah, it's a watchers. Because I've never heard that before. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. Um, we didn't go into as much witchcraft as I, as I would have liked. No. But he was just, you can stop them out. In a good way, yeah. He yeah. Just, we could have sat with him for ages and hours. Ages, 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 yeah. And just talked about everything. So hopefully, now that we've got contact with him, again, next time if he does return, um, we can organise a proper full session with him because it was like the interesting stuff about the rituals and the... You know, the guy's got obviously got so much to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're all ears. So, yeah, I mean, we'll definitely look forward to it. But next time, what are we going to do? Where, we go, where do we head next? That's the big question at the minute. I want to do um, a Wiccan ritual, Zach. Yeah. You I want to take it. part. You want to join it? Be in the mix. I want to take part in a Wiccan ritual. That's okay. what I want to do next. Right. Yeah, well, I'll just, just, let's try and figure that out. Mm-hmm. Let's figure that out. I think that's a goal. Definitely be in that. I don't know how we're going to do it, but how we're going to find people because they seem. Maybe we can find, maybe we can try uh, Anna Lawrence. Anna Lawrence might be. Um, that might be the one. Oh, well, well, we've got the, so the third Monday of the month, there is a local moot happening yeah. at. But that's pagan though as well. It's not witch, is it? Oh, no, but it's not Wiccan. Obviously, we can possibly meet a Wiccan there. Yeah. We'll have to look. We'll have to look again. But yeah, so far as we don't know where we're going next. Um, so yeah, but something involving Wiccans. Yeah, something. Because we've done the pagan thing, 
I would like to do the Wiccan thing, and then I would like to also, if we can find some crazy, like, not crazy, I don't say, but knowledgeable. Um, well, it's supposed, to, yeah, it's supposed to be a practicing witch in somewhere over, dare I say, direction. Um, well, there was that one that I found that uses witchcraft over social media to cure the world will. Oh, yeah. I can't remember her name that I sent you. Mystic Meg. No, it wasn't Mystic Meg. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Mystic Meg. Oh, damn. No. We well, there's somebody. Mystic Meg. <laughs> yeah, there's somebody in that we can definitely worth going to. I want to find a Satanist as well. Yeah, you want to do Satanism, which we can definitely touch on that. Yeah. Sure. Um, well, Satanism is a weird one. That'll be interesting. Difficult to find here because I think it's more gatherings that are the. It doesn't, I don't think it's but it's kind of like an anti-religion, isn't it? It's not. It depends. Strange. There are satanic. It depends what sort of Satanism we we, we root for. Because um, there's like Levain Satanism, which is essentially anti-Satanism, and oh, no, uh, like against religion. Well, so you want to find people that kill babies and talk to them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure we can find them. Yeah, somewhere. But yeah, I'm just I'm just interested in the whole board. I want to want to get deep into the yeah, me too. So yeah, that well, that's, that that concludes episode three of um, the podcast. So thanks again for joining us. Um, we we'll, we'll we didn't see any ghosts this time. Well, we didn't really go anywhere, did we? I mean, we see the Truro ghost. We didn't. It's too early in the morning. Yeah. I've heard they don't come out until at least three o'clock in Truro. Right, okay. Late stars. They're late stars. Truro workers always have been. Truro workers? Yeah, yeah, back in the old days, no one would be late stars. I know what you're trying to do, it ain't gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> this is not gonna be called the lazy tomb. <laughs> um, well, um, anyway, yeah, no ghosts this time, but maybe next time. And uh, no vegan food for me either. No vegan food. But it so was an interview, so it was segments not void in this time. Yeah, yeah. but that's fair. Right, so yeah, thanks again, um, and come join us next time. Hopefully, we'll be doing a Wiccan ritual. Oh, we've not spoken. We have a name. Oh yes, we do finally. We have finally got a name. Um, do you want to do the honors? Call of the occult. Yeah. It's a good job you did it, because I was going to say an old one that we didn't actually, yeah. actually decide on. Yeah, yeah, so... Call of the Occult. Call of the Occult, that is what we... We are no longer an unnamed podcast. Yeah. A yet so unnamed podcast, we are now Call of the Occult. Occult, in a sense, and let's, we want to clarify this now. Occult is not a derogatory term, in any sense. We're defining occult as the pan of... Mysticism. Yeah. Folklore. Cryptology. Uh, Lots of weird stuff. Oh, everything we're, and above. Yeah, we couldn't find a better word. word wrong, but yeah. Yeah. Everything. But for Not all... just the dark arts. Yeah. Which we very we'll... much want to get involved in the dark yeah. arts. But, yeah. but for the moment, yeah, that is what a cult means to us. So don't come. Go and implore us. Let's be mean if you've done that. Yeah. So until next time. Episode three. three. Yeah. Uh, call of the occult. Signing out.